Welcome to the Chicago Bears Podcast. A presentation of ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Here's your host, Pat, the designer. Bear on Bears fans, welcome into a Friday edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. We have the hardest working woman in the industry in here with us on a Friday. We couldn't get her on Thursday because she was debating Stephen A. out here. Just just, just getting had, too big I, for us. We, no, no, that's, that'll never be the case. We just had to make a little schedule switcheroo around. You know, summer's a busy time. I'm not so. mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Uh, listen, we have to have our eye on the enemy as we do every week. We're going through all of the teams. We got Vikings week closing out with Matthew Collar in the building covering the Vikings at Purple Insider Pod on Blue Wire Pods. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, shot a 42 on the back nine after playing a little golf this morning, so I'm feeling okay. Got a little sunburn going uh, in the summertime, as one does in Minnesota. Um, so, yeah, you know, I don't have to tell. Sometimes I have to tell other places that I go on radio hits and stuff. Like, it's not actually cold in the summer, but I don't have to tell you guys. You're yeah. close enough to our state to know. Yeah, it's actually the only tolerable time up there. Have, it, you, have you been up to Minneapolis? I have before? I have been to Minneapolis twice. Once in the winter where I was like, wow, there is a winter worse than Chicago. Mm-hmm. And once in the summertime where I was like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. Like we did like Mall of America and all that in the sure. summertime. No, so I mean, cool. it's, it's great up there during the summertime. Like you have to take advantage of june through early september because come october you might get snow which matt and i know very well yeah it, it is uh it is not a fun time in the winter time i will say that I, I literally remember being there and being like i never thought i could be cold in the winter i thought i was immune to wintertime coldness because of chicago but i was wrong i was wrong but hey we're hoping that uh, there's no cold front coming in in uh, Bears-Vikings. I'm hoping for a ton of action this year, and uh, I want to get the inside opinion here. Let's start this thing off. Let's dive into what's going on with the Vikings. Me and Courtney have kind of both talked about this, and it seems like the Vikings are doing kind of a, hey, we're scared to lose Justin Jefferson, so we're not going to blow this thing up. But we do have to rebuild because this is not the team we want moving forward rebuild coming into this season. How are they going to be able to maintain that competitive edge that they had last season while it seems like the franchise is really in a state of flux right now? Yeah, state of flux is probably the best way you could put it. It's a very odd place to be because if you have Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, then you have to try to win the Super Bowl, right? Otherwise, why do you have Kirk Cousins as your quarterback? He was a guy that was brought here in 2018 to take them to the next level beyond what Case Keenum could do. He's never done that. Uh, Last season is really as close as he's gotten, I would say, with the 13-win season. Um, But, you know, 2019 wins a playoff game, but they haven't had a ton of success in the postseason with Kirk Cousins here. And then you have a year where you move on from a bunch of very talented but older and expensive players and shuffle in a new group, which I think is the right thing to do for the rest of the roster. But then how do you justify having a veteran quarterback if you feel like when you're rebuilding, your chances of winning the Super Bowl are not good? And if you look at the Vegas odds, nobody thinks that they do have good chances to win the Super Bowl. I think they have something like the 17th best odds if that's 
fiftieth thing. Um, if it's, you could be seventeenth best at something, uh, and they are projected to win eight and a half wins, and so th- I think that nobody in the outside world is really buying that this team is in a position where they could actually win. There are numerous new starters, young players, unproven players, and I, I don't think it would have been a better plan to keep Delvin Cook, to keep Adam Thielen, to keep Eric Hendricks, because those players were on the other side of their primes and might not even be better than the guys that are young and replacing them. But at the same time, they haven't made a bunch of cap moves to go out into free agency and pick up a bunch of players. Right now, they have rookie cornerbacks or second-year cornerbacks instead of, say, trying to get Marcus Peters or something like that, who's a free agent. And I think it's an interesting approach because it is kind of trying to, you know, live in both worlds, live in the, like, we still believe we could win the division potentially if the Lions do some Lionsy stuff. You could because you have Justin Jefferson and you have, you know, enough with uh, Kirk Cousins and the offense to win the division and go, you know, into the playoffs. But do you have enough to beat Philadelphia on the road in the playoffs? Absolutely not. You're nowhere close. So, I, yeah, I mean, you could make an argument that what they should have done is traded Kirk Cousins, played Nick Mullins all season, and then tried to draft Caleb Williams. But as you mentioned, if you have Justin Jefferson, that's a pretty hard sell to Justin Jefferson. Hey, we want you to sign a contract extension, but can you just like tank for this season? And then, you know, we'll get you a better quarterback eventually. So um, this is still, I think, in the mess of sort of cleaning up for where the previous regime left them. And then they kicked the can down the road last year by not tearing this all apart the same way Chicago did and the same way I believe Ryan Poles would have if he had taken over as GM of the Vikings. And I think that we got to the inevitable place of them you know, just being stuck in the middle. So it's been quiet on the Jefferson front. Like we, I know he showed up for minicamp. He wasn't going to get fined for that. Right. So, I mean, it's a smart move, but – is this just an inevitability? Do we think they're going to follow the normal timeline of getting him his mega extension where he becomes the highest paid wide receiver around the time of training camp? What's the latest there? Yeah, it was kind of funny. I I had some flashbacks and you'll remember when Stefan Diggs didn't show up for some OTAs and then said he had like a housing problem or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That was a fun one. That was a great excuse. (laughs) Justin should have used that one too. Well, it was close. He said that he had some sponsorship stuff was uh, what he said. I'm like, oh, really? For three weeks? <laughs> you had uh, a sponsorship? Every stuff? day for three weeks. He's working nine to five doing uh, – what is his – who is his big sponsor now? Well, uh, he and I have something in common. I can show Uh-oh. you guys. We have something in common. We are both sponsored by Oakley. So okay. We're, you know, me, we're also both seeking the same contract extension. So, I love um, it. Are yeah, you really sponsored by Oakley now? Did you get that big of a glow up after for, I left? Yeah, yeah. The, well, are we, are the, we losing? I yeah, think we're losing. The, I think, yeah. I, I think just, we're losing badly. Clearly. They, well, did you see those? Of course you are. Because <laughs> I have those and you don't. But uh, no, I, <laughs> they they are cool sunglasses. But they, they sponsored the podcast for the summer. Yeah, that, that didn't happen. But uh, that's not anything to do with Justin Jefferson. I just wanted to brag. Um, but as far as so he shows up at minicamp, he says, yeah, I had some sponsorship stuff, which really means uh, sponsor this contract extension for lots of money. And it doesn't seem like there's any buzz toward this thing being close. And my read on the situation is, you know, if you look at what DK Metcalf did last year, and I know it's a little bit different because he wasn't a first round pick, but D- DK Metcalf's team was in transition with Seattle out of Russell Wilson. Geno Smith is supposed to be a bridge quarterback. They're rebuilding parts of that roster. 
And Metcalf signed a short-term contract for lots of money, uh, but probably not the five-year deal that Seattle would have liked. And I think that there's a case for Justin Jefferson to say, sign me to a three-year contract that gets me through the fifth-year option, through the franchise tag, um, at least for the first time where they could do it. And then we'll assess our situation again in three years. And I will then get to see what you guys did at quarterback, what you guys did at the rebuild and decide if I want to sign a five-year contract because I trust you. Because if this thing goes from 13 wins to Kirk Cousins, to can't find a quarterback, to total calamity, I mean, if you're Jefferson, eventually you're going to probably want out anyway, and that gives him more flexibility. But if you're the Vikings, historically what they've always done with their superstar players is five-year deals that give the team, no surprise here, tons of flexibility. Flexibility to renegotiate the deal, to restructure the deal, and oftentimes after three years to cut the player. So after three years, they get to decide, are we going to keep you or not? Um, but there's a case for Jefferson to sign something shorter. And Joel Corey from CBS, uh, former agent, laid this out really well, why Jefferson would want to do that. That's not me saying I've heard that that's what he wants to do. I just think that that would be a logical conflict between how the team has traditionally done stuff. Uh, their cap guy, Rob Brzezinski, from the previous regime is still here in a similar role. So I think that they would want to structure contracts a certain way. I don't know if that works perfectly for Justin Jefferson, but there is an element here of Justin Jefferson likely, I would assume, wants to be the highest paid player at his position. And the Vikings have no argument to say he shouldn't be. It's It really is, you are the highest paid player at the position or you don't sign the deal. And that means also the most guaranteed money um, as well. So I, I think it's one thing that you know, Jefferson should want, he shouldn't want to show up at, you know, training camp without a deal. He shouldn't want to have, you know, play on his fifth year option and things like that. But it also wouldn't be unprecedented for him to say, if you guys aren't going to be serious about making me the highest paid player and giving me the deal I want, I'll wait. I'll catch a bunch of footballs because even if he were to get injured, he is so young that anybody else would, you know, you know, die for the chance to get Justin Jefferson uh, on their football team. Um, you know, so it, it could get complicated after this, but I think both sides understand it is best for both for him to sign at least some type of extension. Let's say the uh, that everything does end up working out on the offensive end of the football, right? When you look at this offense coming into the season, you're still coming back with Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, uh, KJ Osborne in there as well. And uh, no Dalvin Cook this year going at it with Alexander Madison. The one thing that I've noticed the most about Kirk Cousins is when his running game doesn't help him, um, he gets himself into a little bit of trouble because he starts throwing the football too much, and that gives him an opportunity to throw it to other teams. Um, when you look at kind of how this offense is coming into this season, do you feel like there is going to be a step back in the wrong direction with Dalvin Cook? Do you feel without Dalvin Cook, I should say, or do you feel like it's just going to be business as usual? We'll roll in. We'll maybe we won't win as many of the one score games we won last season, but this offense will still be able to go out there and put up good production. Yeah, it would be literally impossible for them to repeat what they did last year in the one-score games. I mean, it was historic and also eight fourth-quarter comebacks from Kirk Cousins. His career high had been four before that. And, of course, every one of them isn't the quarterback. I mean, the kicker made a 61-yard field goal to win a yeah. game, and uh, Josh Allen fumbled at the goal line to help them win a game. But 
Um, I, them having to rely on winning all of those one-score games is not something that's going to repeat year in and year out. So they probably have to be better. Also, some of their offensive statistics from last year were a little bit shaded by that. I mean, for example, Kirk Cousins threw the fourth most passes when his team was losing, which you would not think for a quarterback who won 13 games, but that happened. So a lot of those offensive stats, even a lot of the points, I mean, think about the Indianapolis game, they're way down. And so they had to score a ton of points with, you know, against one of the worst teams in the league to come back. So I thought that even though you know you look at the stats, points per game, they're eighth in the league. I think they were much more of a middling offense when you kind of shape, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit and and look at who they really were. And I think that they can improve, and it really starts with the run game. Uh, you might want to tell some people in the national media there's a reason they cut Delvin Cook, and that's because he was not the Delvin Cook of the past last year. I don't know whether it was the fact that he didn't fit as well with the run game as he did with Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski in the past in more of a put a fullback in there, run the outside zone. That wasn't who Kevin O'Connell was as an offensive play caller, or if it was the guys had a lot of injuries throughout his career. We've seen many, many running backs through the years start to fade into their late 20s. Um, He was playing with a shoulder injury last year, but he so often is playing with some kind of injury. Uh, the, The same burst wasn't there. Again, very typical stuff for running backs. And I also think that Kevin O'Connell wanted a running back who could catch the ball out of the backfield. That's never really been a Delvin Cook specialty. So I think there was a lot of reasons it didn't fit. They brought in a blocking tight end. They kept their fullback. And I think that they believe that a rotation in the backfield led by Alexander Madison can run the ball better. And I agree with your assessment. When the Vikings can run, Kirk Cousins is in a very comfortable place, running play actions, running the bootlegs. And I think last year was the first year of his career as a starter where he was not that effective in play action. I think that will shock Courtney because she probably wrote about it a bunch of times uh, when she was in Minnesota, but he was actually not great with play action. I don't know how many times, Courtney, we asked him in press conferences, like, why are you... Why are you so terrific in the boots? But, um, you know, uh, he wasn't last year. And that, and I think they want to improve that greatly, how they're tying those two things together. But the big wild card is not just how they're going to react in the backfield. It's also Jordan Addison. You draft a first-round wide receiver. We've seen those go both ways. We've seen Laquan Treadwell, and we've seen Justin Jefferson. Yeah. And I don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, it's very hard to project. I think it was the right decision to move on from Thielen, to draft Jordan Addison. But in year one, um, you know, kind of anything could happen there. So are you a middling offense if Addison is not great? Probably. Um, But there is the potential, if he is great, that they could take a step forward from where they were and be better than last year. And if that's the case, we're talking about them competing for the division. Didn't you not get to see a whole bunch of Jordan Addison either this spring? Wasn't he dealing with something, some sort of injury when he was coming in right after getting drafted? Okay, you'll appreciate this. So uh, in rookie minicamp, it was not as aggressive as it was during Mike Zimmer, where he was running rookies out there 11 on 11, and they were playing pretty physical. That's not how Kevin O'Connell did it. It was, at least in the session open to the media, just individual drills. So the only thing I've seen Jordan Addison do 
is they have a metal thing that the receivers have to duck down and sort of go like do 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 and then uh, make a little move and then run with their head down underneath the metal thing. That's all I've seen Jordan Addison do. And gosh, he looked good doing it. But that's that <laughs> because he didn't he didn't take any reps during OTAs or minicamp. Apparently, even though there was no contact in rookie minicamp, he got banged up. And that is my biggest concern about Jordan Addison. If you watch his college tape, the guy is a heck of a football player. I mean, he yeah. catches everything. He is so quick. He understands the pace of routes, which I think is really important. So it's not just, I'm going to run as fast as I can all the way through the route. It's like setting up guys and he likes the nuances, but um, you know, Courtney, you'll remember when they drafted Cam Dantzler and they were like, Oh, it's fine that he only weighs like 170 pounds. It's usually not fine. I mean, because the guys hitting you weigh 210 and uh, that's something I'm going to be very curious about is how he stays healthy because he was banged up at the combine banged up in OTAs and minicamp. And I believe banged up a little bit last year with USC. So can he stay healthy? I think if he can, he could be a good player, but those guys under 175 pounds, it's an uphill battle to play every week in the NFL. Didn't he start off at Pitt too? Like I feel, yeah. I, he, I, I, I remember him making Kenny Pickett look really, really good looking at his college tape, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's a stud." Like you can make Kenny Pickett look good, you're a stud. Let's uh, let's transition into the defense a little bit. The defense is an interesting uh, topic, especially with the conversation with Hunter going on up there. Um, I think that's really the question that Bears fans want to know. Seeing as how it seems like this new regime of Vikings uh, front office is willing to make moves within the division. Is Danielle Hunter going to be back with the Vikings or is this a situation that seems like it might be out of hand and there's an eventual move coming? Yeah, Courtney, if you've heard anything, let me know, because this one is uh, in the dark. Everyone's in the dark about where this one is going to go um, with Daniil Hunter. It feels like every year that I've covered the team, Daniil Hunter is having some sort of uh, (laughs) conflict with his contract. That was definitely the case last year. They decided to pick up an option last year that, again, kicked the can down the road with that decision. He came back from missing uh, the greater part of two seasons and just was a monster. And he played in a different system. It was more three, four based, which is, you know, it's very similar these days. It's not like the old times, but he was standing up. He was playing a little more of that wide nine as opposed to close to the uh, line of scrimmage. It didn't make a difference. He was just flat out excellent last season. Sacks, pressures, PFF grades, eye test, whatever you want to say. This guy's a, a, a monster a football beast. player. Yeah, and and also an A-plus person for this organization as well. I mean, he's always been the good soldier for this team. And really, there's about three different times he could have held out or fought harder for an extension and sort of said, okay, well, I'll take whatever the restructure is, come back and play. And I think finally, Daniil Hunter's putting the foot down when you see the top players at this position making $25 million. And he says, well, look at my number. And why am I not making that? Because even if you look at since he came in the league, uh, he he missed the better part of two seasons and he's still in the top 10 in sacks. Uh, And his best years are right up there with the elite pass rushers. So uh, there's, uh, you know, a real um, discussion of, though, because of those injuries, do you want to make him one of the highest paid guys for the next five years when uh, a neck injury is not something to mess with? That's very concerning for a long term contract. At the same time, if you you know you trade him away and everybody knows that you have to trade him away and whoever trades for him has to sign him, which means they need cap space. Uh, how much can you get for him? I, I, I mean, usually somebody gets desperate and gives a first round pick, but also I think we've seen Quasi Adafo Mensa not really 
doing as well in some of these trade conversations as you might think, uh, or as more experienced GMs. I think of it as kind of like fantasy football. If you've been in a league with someone and you've made a bunch of trades with them, you trust them and you'll make a, you know, a reasonable trade for both sides. But if you got a newbie in your league, you're like, no, I'm robbing this guy or I'm not doing the trade. <laughs> I think that Quasi is dealing with that on multiple levels from agents and from other GMs. And uh, this Hunter situation is right in the middle of that. Yeah, for what it's worth, what I've heard is that both sides are still decently far apart. It's hard to imagine, though, if you're going to keep Kirk Cousins and let him ride out this final year of his contract, and then you, on the other side of it, like you would have to almost do everything possible to keep Daniil Hunter in the fold because one without the other, in yeah. a way, even though obviously different contract situations, different parts of their careers <laughs> – to blow up your defense after you already blew up your defense by giving away so many other parts. Eric Kendricks, we know, is gone. Patrick Peterson is gone. Zadarius Smith is gone. This is a new-look defense. And and I know Brian Flores was a hot name when he got hired as a defensive coordinator, but he's still tasked with not a lot of talent outside of the Daniil Hunters of the world that are you know few and far between on this defense. But he's still got to fix the second-worst defense from last year. Where... Like you could take this a million different directions when you talked about all those one score games and why the Vikings were in a situation to have to play in so many of them. You can look at the defense and look at a lot of flaws there. Where does Brian Flores start in trying to fix this thing? Yeah. I mean, that's, it is a difficult task. Imagine being Brian Flores taking the job and they're like, okay, you've got Sedarius Smith and Daniel Hunter. Oh, all right. That sounds good. I can, all right, let me just, you know, add a couple of blitzers. We'll cover it up and we'll be all right. And then, okay, actually you don't have Zadarius Smith because we're trading him because he wanted more money. Okay. Well, I've still got the Neil Hunter, right? I'll be fine. No, Brian, actually you might not. So uh, <laughs> poor, poor guy, I think was maybe looking to come here, fix the defense and then get back in that head coaching conversation. That's going to be really hard. If they move on from Daniel Hunter, we're talking about Marcus Davenport, who has never played 600 snaps in a season, and DJ Wanham and Patrick Jones, which your audience might not have heard. Although Wanham you would have heard of because he had a big game against uh, Chicago, but Patrick Jones you may not have heard of. And then we're talking about undrafted guys after that on the depth chart. No they love could- for Chris Tonga and Jonathan Bullard? No love yeah. at all? Oh, yeah. Well, Kyra Stonga. Yeah, <laughs> Tonga. Matt, Matt wrote something on Kyra Stonga. Do you want to enlighten us about that? It was no, after his. I did, yeah. Yeah, I remember we were talking about it when he had his incredible pick six, which was a weird day during training <laughs> camp. It's actually the day that Roquan Smith uh, ended up, you know, ending his hold in. So I just remember it being that was the Kyrus Tonga day. Um, far more significant in the grand scheme of things. What was your story that you wrote on him? Because I remember we had this conversation. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know that with the Kyrus Tonga era of the Chicago Bears. It was a great time. Yeah, I mean, Kyrus is definitely more of a run stuffer than he is the pass rush. So if we're talking about, you know, how they're going to rush the passer, he's really not a big part of that discussion, but does have a great story. I mean, he was a guy that came from a really tough upbringing, was getting in trouble in high school, and uh, he was abandoned by his parents. And so he was adopted by, uh, you know, other set of parents, decided to go on a Mormon mission, which we know a lot of players from BYU do that. And it really changed his life. But the funny twist to 
the Mormon mission was that he was sent to Kansas. Like a lot of times they're sent, you know, somewhere, you know, maybe out of the country or whatever. So he was thinking of all the cool places. He was like, maybe I can go to New Zealand or something. And he was sent to Kansas. Um, but uh, he really turned his life around and then has fought very hard to become uh, an NFL player and has found a home with the Vikings. However, he will not be swinging the tides of the Vikings defense. He could be a solid run stuffer though. So with Brian Flores, the, the difficult task here for Flores is that there's just so much unproven. Even if Hunter comes back, a Caleb Evans, they really like him. He's a fourth round draft pick, lanky guy, good at man coverage. And they were obsessed with Makai Blackman in the draft and they took him in the third round. They really loved him. Uh, at USC, if you go back and watch him, he's great at staying in phase with receivers, a mature guy. Um, he's known really kind of for his you know hard-nosed type of play, even though he's undersized, that kind of thing. Vikings fans um, and, and Bears fans remember Antoine Winfield. Maybe there's a little bit of that in his game, but it's all unproven. And then you have Andrew Booth Jr., who uh, they drafted last year that has never been able to stay on the field, another undersized guy that just keeps getting injured over and over. And the element of Lewis Seen, who they drafted, in the first round, but in minicamp, he was safety number four. And he got injured in his first year and he's recovering from that injury, but still not something we expected because he was a full participant. So they have two other guys, Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus ahead of him. They're kind of using Metellus all over the field. Brian Flores is going to have to get really creative to create pressures, but then he's going to ask his corners and his safeties to do a lot in coverage. They also signed Byron Murphy Jr., who I think is a pretty solid nickel corner. It's there's just a lot up in the air. There is a world where a bunch of those guys click and the young players work out and it's actually better than the older players last year. There have been times we've seen that, but also there have been times from 2019 to 2020 when they overhauled the secondary and it was a just pure disaster. So that's one that's that could really swing whether this is a season where they're actually competitive or where we're talking about, well, the Vikings won seven games because they couldn't stop anyone. And oh, by the way, their schedule has Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert on it. It, it. When you look at kind of where the direction of this team is going, I mean, you're you're it seems like you're in the agreement with most of the world that the Vikings aren't going to be 13 and, and four again. But when you look at where this team is going, what is the realistic end game? Are we going to see this team be blown up if they go the wrong direction this season? I think they're going to go like backwards, but like I'm hearing a lot now of like seven and 10, eight and nine type of team. That's a long way from 13 and three. Could this be the last iteration of the Kirk cousins Vikings? Let me ask you this question. Are we giving the Vikings the win against the Bears in week 18? Do we do we should we call them a 13 win team or more of like 12 and four? Yeah, I mean, that was when once Tim Boyle's playing, I think that doesn't count. I don't know. But um, <laughs> those two picks weren't his fault, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Chase Claypool ran the wrong route twice, just to let you know. So. Let's let's not come on this podcast and slander the great Tim Boyle. Uh, okay, Na Nathan Peterman was actually looking like an NFL quarterback in that no, game, so right? they took him out. Like, no, 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 you're looking too good, Nathan. Get out of there. Uh, <laughs> and, and just another aside, an aside on top of an aside, that Chase Claypool has no excuses because TJ Hawkinson was traded midseason as well, and the dude played 60 snaps and caught nine passes or something in his first game. And so if you're still saying like, well, you know, maybe it's the second year in the offense, I'm sorry, but it's not that hard. Okay. Like if 
TJ Hawkinson could learn a more complicated position. You've just got some problems there. Anyway, uh, but the the bigger picture on this, as far as regression, is when Kwesi Adafo-Mensa got the job, he used the phrase competitive rebuild. And all of us went, competitive rebuild, right? But it's a competitive rebuild. Like that's that's what they've really done. We thought it was kind of just like GM speak and yeah. I don't even know what that means and it's vague and weird. Uh, but that's exactly what it is now is they are trying to thread the needle of being good this year again, competing for the division, trying to win, going deep in the playoffs if they have the, you know, the Midas touch again and get lucky or something, uh, which is not likely, but you never know. I mean, Trent Dilfer, I guess, right? So, but uh, these things, these things probably aren't going to happen, but at least they're going to fill the stadium. They're going to compete for the playoffs. That's their vision. Well, developing all of these younger players, hoping some of them hit, hoping Flores sticks and wants to stay here as the defensive coordinator and, and on and on. And then finding their next quarterback in the draft next season and dropping the quarterback into the best possible position. Now, this is very difficult, but if they extend Jefferson, if they extend Hawkinson and they have two of the best offensive tackles in the NFL, they can find a little bit of a running game here and an offensive coach. It would actually be one of the best setups for any quarterback to, to be set into. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jalen Hurts gets A.J. Brown and all of a sudden he's better. I don't think it's a coincidence that you know Joe Burrow right off the bat is a great quarterback when you know he gets Jamar Chase there and he gets T. Higgins there. It's not that those guys wouldn't be good, but they're really good. And also you know, the same with Josh Allen where he gets Stephon Diggs. I think it really helps any rookie quarterback to come here and have Justin Jefferson right away and T.J. Hawkinson and, and a budding offensive line I think that's the plan or the other part of the plan could be if Kirk leaves, there's always a disgruntled quarterback. Like would Kyler Murray be disgruntled and want to come to Minnesota? Like that's these things. You're always in that. You're always trying to be in that position. I think to be the team that gets Aaron Rodgers when he's mad and like, Oh look, we have receivers for you in in, in the defense that's been built up over years. I like the strategy for the most part. If it was Madden and there weren't owners and money and all those things involved and people's jobs and so forth, you would just trade away Kirk, play Nick Mullins, lose a bunch of games, simulate the season, and uh, then try to draft as high as you can. That's just not really realistic uh, when you factor all of the human parts of that. Well, it kind of speaks to at least the direction of the Vikings from what you just painted for us there. It speaks to the bigger picture of the NFC North, a division now that's wide open. And it sounds, at least from what you're saying, that they'll push this as far as they can go this year. See, I mean, if they get 13 wins, by God, it's a miracle. And they're back in the playoffs. Who knows how far they'd actually go. But this is a team that wants to stay relevant. It hasn't really done the necessary work to push for a Super Bowl. But staying relevant is great. It means butts and seats. And it means the team is contending for a playoff spot. But let's say it doesn't go according to their far-fetched, that's like the best-case scenario plan. And they are, like Pat said, 8-9, and 7-10, and ten, and they move on from Kirk Cousins. Can, can you see a world where they finally have to bite the bullet and actually, as far as the competitive rebuild, whatever it is, those pieces are in place, but we know that rookie quarterbacks, if they go that route in 2024, they often struggle early on. I mean, that's what we're expecting for yeah. Bryce Young. It's not going to be a perfect situation for him in his rookie season. It's not going to be a perfect situation for any of them. But 
as far as like the balance of power and how the Viking strategy this year, next year, the next two or three years, how do you think that's going to play into the overall landscape of a changing division when now a lot of teams see the window to actually make a play to try to take over the spot that Minnesota and Green Bay have been duking it out for, you know, the last five, six, seven years. I think in a perfect world scenario, and consider also that Quasey has a four-year contract that he signs, so this kind of matches up with how his contract goes. In a perfect world scenario, they are decently competitive this year, then draft a quarterback. That quarterback comes in, and his first year is showing signs. Like we usually see from rookie quarterbacks that at very least they're showing signs they could be good. And then going into 2025, that's when you – throw all the money and you know you use fully that uh, rookie quarterback contract that has been the hack in the NFL that a lot of teams have been able to use to stack up and pay people and you also have Jefferson in his prime presumably you have a defense that's been developed over several years and it all comes together and you're a Super Bowl contender and you all um, wait until a kicker misses a 38 yard kick wide left in the NFC championship game like that's the plan right but there's uh, pitfalls to that, and the pitfall is what if you don't pick the right quarterback? And not that the Bears would know anything about picking the wrong quarterback, um, so I can explain it to you, but uh, it's bad because you can waste a great team, and nobody actually knows that better than recently with Mitch Trubisky in Chicago because that 2018 team was a behemoth. Uh, it was a just a monster, phenomenal football team top to bottom, and I know it wasn't all his fault, and maybe there's still some defenders out there, but if you had Patrick Mahomes, you would have won the freaking Super Bowl, and so that's what it comes down to a lot, and it's like we could talk about whether Quasey knows what he's doing or it's the right timeline or whatever, but what it will ultimately come down to and we're not going to find this out probably for two years is if they get the right quarterback in place and then they are super dangerous because of the, you know, Darisaw, Jefferson, the, the young players that they've drafted and then the, the defense that they've been you know building up and developing. But there's a couple other teams that are ahead of them in this rebuild race and Chicago most certainly is. And Detroit most certainly is that even though we can make fun of them because I was like five the last time they won the division, um, they have a good team. And they could win the division. And they have won, at this moment, the rebuild wars. They've hit on draft picks. They've found a fourth rounder who's a superstar receiver. They have a pretty competent coach, a great offensive coordinator, a defense that they were able to spend a bunch of money on their secondary to rebuild now. And then here comes Chicago. If Justin Fields is good, Chicago will be extremely dangerous, probably for a long time, but especially while he's still fairly cheap. Um, And I don't know what to think of the Packers at all because I just have no clue what Jordan Love is going to be. And they're not really in that ideal cheap situation. If he's good, then he'll get paid and they'll be in a tough spot. I think that they could be middling for a long time. But the Vikings, by not living in reality with their previous regime and taking apart parts of it, getting rid of older players and waiting to do it this year, put them behind where those other teams are. So they're hoping to sort of cheat the system a little bit where Detroit and Chicago had to go all the way back. They're hoping to be like, well, what if we just go a little bit back and then we can, you know, just go from there and we'll see if it works. I, you know, I, I think it's a very, very difficult thing to do, but if you get into the position next year in the draft, let's say they go seven and 10. So they're drafting, I don't know, 13th or whatever trade two first round draft picks up with some team that has a quarterback, you become Carolina and you're not getting Caleb Williams. Whoever's number one will draft him, but Drake may, or there, or, you know, a Spencer Rattler or something could uh, kind of emerge as a guy 
that you end up getting. And that's that's the perfect world scenario. You blow that though, and uh, everyone's getting fired. It's really that simple. I mean, if you blow that, you're the Jets and everyone's getting fired. Where do you think this thing ends this season? If you had to go with your division standings to end the season, way too early division standings because we don't know how anything's going to play out, training camp, injuries throughout the season, all of that, but way too early. How do you have the standings going this season? Uh, somebody asked on my show the other day if uh, every team could go nine and eight in the division. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. And one time it actually almost happened in uh, 2011 with the AFC West. Every team went eight and eight and one team went seven and nine. And I think that's exactly what this division could be, uh, where you could see, I mean, the Bears taking a pretty significant step forward, but not being great. The Lions not being as good as everyone's giving them credit for because Lions and the Vikings having enough on offense to win a handful of games that they're supposed to win. They do have a difficult schedule, but they also have, uh, you know, a, a decent amount of teams that are like the Bucks, the Broncos, the no. Saints, the not super scary teams uh, that they could win enough to be in that conversation. Um, and again, with Green Bay, like who knows what to think of them, but they have enough talent to win eight or nine games. So I'm not going to predict that every team will go nine and eight. I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, but if I if I had to play it out, I think that Detroit probably wins like 11 and then the Vikings maybe nine, Chicago maybe eight, and Green Bay six or seven, and it, and it goes something like that. That's projecting it on July seventh, and we don't know how you know training camp or whatever is going to go. But that's kind of how I, I I see it playing out right now. I think most people would probably be in agreement on that. I mean, the Green Bay one's interesting. I mean, I think we're in differing camps here. I don't think they're rebuilding. I don't think that's, I mean, in a, obviously at the quarterback position, but this is not a rebuilding team. A rebuilding team's one that siphons off expensive veterans. And, you know, it's a team that has a lot of its own draft picks. Yeah. A lot of players on the defense are first rounders. I don't know if I would say agree. I would. I think I'd flip it personally. I think that Minnesota could end up being third. The Bears still maybe fourth, but like, you know, a, a, a seven, eight win team. Green Bay, six and six and 11. That's, I've, I, got I, I mean, I could absolutely see it. But no, I mean, I think you're yeah. right. I think most people are looking at this Lions team and hope, hoping just that they don't lion them, that lions themselves uh, into, maybe you know, normal. <laughs> normal circumstances for uh, that franchise. Cause it, I mean, it's a lot, there's a lot of talent on that. That's the one I, the funniest thing to me about all of this going through these weeks. And I God, I can't wait for next week is that lions fans are just like, we're not going to lions this again. We finally got it right. Don't you like this how is the Matt perfect situation. Yeah. yeah it's, it, like, it's amazing. And like every other team in the division is like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you might it. yeah you might say they're lying to themselves uh yeah, when yeah. uh no okay uh but you know i i do think objectively though like people make fun of jared goff and yet he's had three offenses in his career be in the top five and he's taken a team to a super bowl and the guy i mean minnesota should have all the respect in the world for him because he's had some big wins against the Vikings in his career. So I respect him. I mean, usually uh, my lens for how I view other teams and other players is through kind of a Vikings uh, focus. Like Akeem Hicks will always forever have all of my uh, appreciation because just mauled human beings every time he played the Vikings. But I do think that Jared Goff can lead winning teams. And I don't understand why people look at him as some sort of subpar quarterback. 
He's not Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. But also in the NFC, I'm looking around and not seeing too many of those guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've seen him do it before with stacked teams. And, you know, people kind of made fun of the Jameer Gibbs draft pick, but he's going to play and he's going to get the football and he's probably going to be good with the football. And they already have an elite receiver. They have a good offensive line. When Goff has time to throw, he could be good. So I have talked myself into the lions without a whole lot of effort, just based on their roster. And I don't think history actually matters. I mean, I don't think it means that every bears quarterback for the rest of our existence has to be a bust. Um, it's because the, the Buffalo bills and the new Orleans saints could change your mind here where, you know, the bills, they missed the playoffs for like 20 straight seasons and then found their quarterback and oh, there they are. I mean, the saints was anybody worse and when I was a kid, was anybody worse than the Saints? Was anybody a bigger joke? That they had like multiple quarterbacks named Billy Joe. It was just a disaster. And uh, then they get Breeze. All of a sudden, they're great. So I, I think every team's kind of around that corner. Um, but it's really the other teams that are so hard to predict because I could see the Vikings winning nine or ten. I could also see them winning seven if just a couple of things go wrong for them. And Green Bay, yeah, I agree with you, Courtney, that I don't think that they that they think they're rebuilding, not in title town, uh, but I just don't know what to think of Jordan Love. And until he shows that he's a starting quarterback who's really good, I would probably put them at like seven wins. But if it was 12 because Jordan Love is the next Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers, I guess I wouldn't be totally shocked. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Imagine, though, how excited people were when Favre left Green Bay. Oh, well, there's no way the next guy's as good as him, right? <laughs> that one that one stinks. That one stinks. You had to, you had to go out with it. With a, uh, right I feel like the last one have been like subtle jabs, like a couple pokes. You know, you bring up Mitch, bring up bring up missing quarterbacks, and then he goes with the, the Aaron Rodgers from far. That's the one right there. Kate hey, McNown. Uh, Cade McNown. That's how I'm going to end this podcast. I don't care <laughs> if there's any more questions. The answer is Cade McNown. <laughs> oh, man. That's a name that I'm sure every Bears fan was hoping to hear today. The only quarterback I've ever seen never cross the 50 <laughs> in my life. I've, I've seen bad quarterback play. He had a game where he didn't cross the 50. That's bad. That's how bad you can get. Uh, Matt, let them know where they can find you. Let them know where where uh, you will be speaking and where they can bring their visceral um, Bears hate towards the Vikings. I was going to say, I'm sure I earned a ton of listeners for the Purple Insider podcast uh, uh, just by yelling bust quarterback. They can yell back Christian Ponder if they want. Uh, but uh, yeah, Purple Insider podcast, purpleinsider.com is where all the written work shows up. And oh, I'm on... Uh, Blue Sky and Threads and uh, Twitter <laughs> and Facebook and Instagram and MySpace and uh, what? Uh, MySpace yeah. is, that, is MySpace making a comeback? I, I really LinkedIn. We don't need another social media thread. But before before, before he buries the lead here, he has a book coming out uh -oh. in August. I do. Yeah. Uh, it's called football is a numbers game pre-sale uh, going on now. And uh, I went sort of behind the scenes at pro football focus and wrote about how they became what they are, which is working with all 32 teams. I looked into what they actually do for teams, how they got here, how they became so influential and where they fit within the analytics revolution uh, in the NFL. So it's a really fun project as, like two years writing about their company and uh, also some of the challenges of being the top data company in football and some of the uh, drama as well. So really cool project that's coming out in October. But again, for all you nerds, pre-sale now. 
I, I got to read it because I'm not going to lie. Like PFF always puts out two stats that just don't make sense when you watch the Bears every year. It's like the Bears actually have the best offensive line rated against the rest of the NFL by keeping their quarterback upright. And it's like he's been sacked seven times this week. <laughs> And all because Sam Mustafer fell over. But we appreciate you coming through. Make sure that you guys support the book sales. Make sure that you guys support Matthew over on the Purple Insider Podcast. As always, it's your boy Pat, the designer, joined by Courtney Cronin. She's got to go do uh, probably a million other shows. So uh, we'll let her get out of here as well. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear done. Hopefully the Bears are better than the Vikings. Peace.